Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. As the Christmas season of 1938 came to Chicago, Illinois, Bob May was not feeling much in the holiday spirit, and for good reason. The 34-year-old father of one who penned ads for retail giant Montgomery Ward was exhausted and nearly broke. Worse yet, his wife Evelyn was bedridden and fighting valiantly against the cancer that had already stolen two years of her young life. One night, Bob's daughter Barbara asked her father, Why isn't my mommy like everybody else's mommy? This devastated Bob May, and as he struggled to answer her heart-wrenching question, he turned to his own personal experience of growing up and decided to spin a tale for Barbara that would help erase her pain and explain their family's hardships. Little did he know that his tale would transform the story of Christmas forever and come to entertain the world over. Thank you for joining us on this very special, very blessed Christmas day. Gather the family together, give thanks, and enjoy an episode of the Missing Chapter podcast that will explain the origin of one of our most time-honored holiday classics. Welcome, everybody, to the Missing Chapter podcast. I am Phil Schaff, here with Phil Horner, and on behalf of the Missing Chapter, we would love to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Um, it is one of the most special traditions for us to have as many Christmas trees as possible uh, within our 1,200-square-foot home, and uh, we try to just load it up with Christmas lights and and uh, smells of uh, sugar cookies that my wife loves to make, and Hey, we're going to try to bring that kind of Christmas spirit today in this podcast, uh, in this episode. Before we do, let's talk about what we're brewing. We're brewing Utica Coffee Roasting Company's French Roast. Now, French Roast, Phil, is probably one of my favorite blends. Um, aside from Utica Roasting Company, this one is probably one of my favorite blends that they've provided for us. Yeah, and we always look at the, uh, the interesting descriptions they put on the bags. For this one, the French Roast, they wrote low acidity, smoky, hmm. and cocoa. And you look at that, and you know, if you're, you're pulling this off the the grocery store, you know, shelf, you're thinking really smoky cocoa, but they're really good with their descriptions. And, yeah, and after you read them and after you try them, um, you can pick up on, on those subtleties. And Phil, you mentioned it. It was, you know, Christmas time is about traditions. It's about, you know, being um, just appreciative of what you have. And it's, you know, for, for us who we have two small children each, it's doing whatever we need to in order to make the holidays extra special for yeah, them. Yeah. You know, and I think about the story that we're going to talk to you uh, at home about today. You know, a, a lot of what Bob May, who who we were introduced to in the introduction, that's what he was doing too. Trying yeah. to make something special um, for his daughter under very bad circumstances, obviously. And you mentioned before I had my first child, you had, mm -hmm. you had Andrew. Um, and you said there's something about when you have kids, it reinvigorates and revitalizes right. everything to become new again. Right. You see everything like for the first time. Yeah. Because you get to see it through their eyes. Right. Um, and it is. It's extra special. It's, yeah. you know, it's it's fun for you because it's fun for them, I think. Right. So now, you know, we're, we're doing Elf on the Shelf. We're doing all sorts of, uh, right. you know, Christmas stories. And they, they, I mean, we'll have nights where we're just 
you know, stroll through the neighborhoods looking at Christmas lights. And yeah, those are the things, about. right. Yeah. Those are the things that, that make everything worth it. And it, and it brings a, a new vibrancy to our own personal lives. And I, I see that in, uh, in Mr. May here. Yeah. And uh, again, the extenuating circumstances, obviously his wife being sick. Right. Um, and being posed with that difficult question that, that his daughter gave him. And I think that's where we'll pick up. We'll pick up right uh, from the question that we gave you guys in the introduction. When Barbara asked her father, why isn't my mommy like everybody else's mommy? And as Bob May struggled to answer his, his daughter's question, he kind of went back to a lot of the pains he experienced in his own childhood. And as a small kind of sickly boy, he was constantly being picked on and bullied and called names. And he wanted to give his daughter hope and show her that being different was nothing to be ashamed of. And here we are, Phil, in 1938. It's so weird because as a parent, and if you think about you know where we are in the world today, those are all things that we're trying to you know, instill in our own children today. And, and here we are. It's, you know, 2021 on the verge of 2022. And you could you could easily say, you know. You're, you're trying to instill those same things in your da- daughters and yeah, the parallels know, between them right. I mean, are, are are so are so concise. And I, I nothing's new under the sun, right? Is the old saying, is the right. old verbiage. And I, I tell you what, if if this is going to continue, yep. you can see the parallel, especially as a father, you can see that connection with a daughter. Absolutely. So more more than that, Bob May wanted Barbara to know that he loved her and would always take care of her. So he began to spin a tale about a reindeer. A reindeer with a special bright red nose who found a place on Santa's team. All right. So now people know exactly where we're going. Barbara loved the story so much that she made her father tell it to her every night before bedtime. Love that. All right. And as he did, it grew more and more detailed, more and more elaborate. And because he couldn't afford to buy his daughter a gift for Christmas, Bob May went one step farther. He decided to turn the story, the story about his reindeer with the red nose, into a homemade picture book. In early December of 1938, Bob's wife, Evelyn, passed away. And though he and Barbara were were heartbroken, he kept working on the book for his daughter. And I think that's part of the healing process, and it must have given him a little bit of reprieve from, from what was going on in life. A few days before Christmas, Bob reluctantly attended a company party at Montgomery Ward, mm-hmm. right, at his employer. And his co-workers encouraged him to share the story he'd written. And after he did, after he'd read it and shared it with, with his coworkers, there was a standing ovation. They loved it. Everyone wanted copies of their own. Montgomery Ward bought the rights to the book from their debt-ridden employee. And over the next six years at Christmas, they proceeded to give away six million copies of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to shoppers in Chicago. That is incredible. And every major publishing house in the country began to make offers to obtain the book. It became that popular. And an incredible display of goodwill. I think there's so many great things out of this story. But as as you and I were going through it, Phil, this one kind of stood out to us. Mm -hmm. Montgomery Ward, the head of the department store, returned all rights to Bob May. That's right. That part is, is phenomenal. Yeah. So the company president at that time, a guy by the name of Sewell Avery, signed over the poem's rights uh, to Bob May in, the, in late 1946 so that he, the copywriter, could be compensated for his work. I mean, could you imagine corporate America doing that today? 
I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are certain charity cases, of course, that we're not aware of because that doesn't usually make the make the news. But right. uh, it, it, this instance, this is this is pretty heartwarming. Right. So fast forward four years after that, 1968, Rudolph had made Bob May and his family into millionaires. At this point, he'd remarried. He'd had a growing family. May felt very blessed by his good fortune. But there was more to come. His brother-in-law happened to be a successful songwriter named Johnny Marks. And he set the uplifting story to music. The song was picked uh, pitched to artists, uh, people from Bing Crosby yep. down the list, all the famous vocals of the time. And no one really liked it uh, that they so much that they would put their name on it. Right. Okay. Uh, finally, Marks approached Gene Autry, the one and only Gene Autry. And the Cowboy Star had scored a, a holiday hit with Here Comes Santa Claus a few years early, earlier. But like the others, Autry really wasn't impressed enough that he was going to make this misfit reindeer into a song that, that he would uh, work with. Marx begged him, begged him to give it a second listen. It was actually Autry playing the song for his wife, uh, Ina, who was so touched by the line they wouldn't let poor Rudolph play in any reindeer games that she insisted and convinced her husband to record the tune. And what's, what's amazing about this is that, you know, you have a famous name, Gene Autry, mm -hmm. you get someone like that and that's really his, his name and his rendition is a little bit different granted, right, than right. the actual story. But the song is actually made famous by Gene Autry's recording, which I think is, is awesome. And then of course you have the connection to Johnny Marks. Now, what's interesting is, one of the most popular uh, songs was Bing Crosby's White Christmas. You know, the holiday song, uh, White Christmas. What's interesting, though, is it was only um, just underneath White Christmas was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for that year. I think that's, you know, when you take a tale like um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and it's, and it's based upon a father's love for a daughter. Right. And maybe his, a love for his wife as well. And maybe it, it brought up some some issues, obviously, with his past. I think... When something is found foundational like that, then of course the the story is going to sprout into this big thing. Whereas some stories that are created just like, hey, what should we write about? What book should we create? Let's let's start brainstorming. Mm -hmm. This is something that is emotional at the onset, which is of course going to going to garner a lot of attention um, throughout the world. And I think that's really what happened here, and that's I, I ultimately what got Gene Autry. Uh, to record this. No, I think that's a great point, Phil. And I actually want to point out a quick mistake that I made. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. The copyright was signed over to Bob May in 1946. So four years later would be 1950. Um, that's when, you know, the, Bob May and his family really started to to financially see, reap the, the benefits of this. 1964, I was getting a little bit ahead of myself. The 1964 was the Rankin-based production um, who actually took the song. And the next step would be all right. What we get to see every year. All right. And the big oh. announcement is, is when when will Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer be on TV? And it was Rankin-based productions in 1964 with uh, who produced and came out with its famous stop motion movie mm -hmm. based on the story. So I, I don't even think Bob May could have been, you know, could have foreseen just how big this this, you know, became. Like you said, it was a very humble start. It was a story based partly on his own experience as a child to try and 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 help his daughter get through a difficult time that then snowballed into a very um, heartwarming story that the people at his job enjoyed. Yeah. 
And then it became a song that we now think is synonymous with Christmas. It becomes the stop motion movie that is part of a, a family's tradition to watch every year. Which really I can remember amazing. growing up Absolutely. watching, you know, every Christmas. Yeah. yeah, in the days before Netflix and Hulu, right. you know, it was on once. Yeah. And, and you know, you looked forward to that. Absolutely. And I, I think this there's something here, too, with, with just like the missing chapter aura, is that in so many cases, in so many of these episodes, a person who is going through either a major tragedy or going through something very difficult, when they when they end up passing is really when their influence takes off. Mm -hmm. And now, unfortunately, this this woman ends up passing. She would have never known that her struggles would have influenced something that would would, uh, you know, effectively changed millions of people's Christmas traditions for years and years and years. Right. And if Bob May had given up at that point, um, rather than continue to work on the story, almost as a part of his therapy. Yeah. Yeah. um, It wouldn't have come to fruition either. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that, uh, you know, in, in some of the research, it was years later that May would confess um, he was actually influenced by Hans Christian Andersen's The Ugly Duckling and by his own childhood experiences, of course. But uh, we, we know when he sat down to create this Christmas story. And I also think it's pretty interesting, too. He ha- he, he toyed with with some names. Mm-hmm. So what names is he going to go with? Well, he started with Rolo. Yeah. Well, that's too lighthearted for a misfit. So then he went to Reginald. Reginald, the, the Reginald's, Reginald's right here. But it doesn't like, flow as well. Nah, no, 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 no. That's too formal and European sounding, he said. So he eventually settled on Rudolph, which is pretty good. Um, you know, May was, he was a pretty undaunted human being. Like right. he, nothing's going to stop him, you know? And I think one of the, one of the hesitations he had was maybe some, uh, some criticism that he received. And he actually welcomed that. I remember stories of him sitting down with his daughter and and some close friends to try to figure out what avenue that he should take this story down. And one of those stories was he convinced one of his associates uh, in the company's art department, uh, a guy by the name of Denver Gillen, to take him to Lincoln Park Zoo. And Gillen, of course, being an incredible artist, made a series of reindeer sketches using some of the uh, animals at the Lincoln Park Zoo, of course. Uh, When May's boss saw the sketches, he completely became convinced that the story would would work. And sure enough, here comes Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and it went into production. And uh, I, I also want to know, by 1946, you mentioned that year also, um, the 1940s at least, with paper shortages yet <clears throat> during war years, 6 million copies. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. You know, I mean, to think you're in you're in World War II here, you know, uh, just, just after it. And I mean, there's so much happening in the world. Now, obviously, you know, wartime economies are, are usually amped up, mm-hmm. but you're still, as as we just mentioned, you're still going through a paper shortage. And even with that, he still ended up selling six million copies. So I'm wondering if without the paper shortages, would he have right. exceeded that number? Right. And in, in terms time. of the song, Phil, it's always funny. You know, you, you learn about famous actors that turn down famous roles, you know, in movies because they didn't see really a future. They didn't like the script. So. For Gene Autry, whose wife convinced him that this is a project he should participate in and get involved in, within a few years, it was the second best-selling Christmas song ever, <laughs> right behind White Christmas. Oh, so, so ever, for, ever. Oh so my for God. Gene Autry, you know, whereas other you know huge names like Bing Crosby, yeah, you know who we think of, you know, with with Christmas songs, um, you know, it turned out all right for him too. So he was rewarded for for having faith. Uh, enough in that song too. Yeah, I I, I love the story, and, and you know we don't want to take up too much of your Christmas today. 
Um, but this is one of those heartfelt Christmas stories we, we just absolutely had to share. So uh, thank you for listening. And, um, you know, Phil, uh, on behalf of Missing Chapter here, we want to make sure and wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Have a, have a very safe, very blessed Merry Christmas. Um, we look forward to joining you guys with with plenty more stories to entertain you and, and educate you and and help you get through uh, what's going to be a very fun, um, very joyful 2022, Phil. You know, before we leave today, um, what's become customary here at the Missing Chapter podcast is Phil and I would just like to take a few moments and just thank a few people. First off, I want to say Merry Christmas to my beautiful wife, Erin, um, our, our amazing boys, Andrew and Nathan, who bring us so much joy and love and really just make everything in life so much more enjoyable. You guys are the best. I'm so fortunate to be your father. Uh, I want to say Merry Christmas to my parents, my sisters, Heather and Wendy, um, my in-laws, the Brewers. And just everybody who listens to The Missing Chapter, Phil and I are very fortunate uh, to have the job that we do and to be able to participate in this podcast. It's a lot of fun, and, and we look forward to continuing that tradition well into uh, the future. It's hard to follow up, Phil. In all seriousness, I, I'll start off by thanking my parents who always made our Christmases special as we spent time with aunts and uncles and cousins and then ended up at my grandparents' house to spend the night by the Christmas tree while my grandma made cookies and hot chocolate and she brought us into the Christmas Day the best way every year, where we laughed and played with all of our new toys together. Uh, to honor them, I hope to carry that tradition with my own family and now with my daughters, Jojo and Mila. Girls, Daddy loves you so much. Merry Christmas. And, and of course, to my wife, the most probably the most Christmas-loving person on the planet. This season wouldn't be as festive and special without you and all you do for us. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.